0: God, why did you allow this to happen to me? You know, it's like, it just doesn't suffice, especially sexual abuse or any other type of, you know, grave trauma. Um, It wasn't enough for me. So I, I have to really get down to the level of those women that I minister to and say, you know what, like maybe this isn't the first question to propose or even to dive into. Maybe we have to deal with it from an angle of like, simply validating the fact that this was a really horrible experience, in a harmful one, and that something evil just occurred.
1: How do we draw closer to God in the midst of the confusion and chaos we may have experienced in our past? How are we to understand the terrible things that sometimes occur in the lives of the innocent? In today's episode, sexual integrity coach, speaker, and advocate Kiki Rocha shows us how acknowledging past traumatic experiences as part of our journey of faith can actually lead us to authentic joy in the present.
0: I took it upon myself to reach out to people who I thought could help me in this in this particular part of my story. And I would say that a lot of it had to do with facing the grief. You know, when I began to grieve what had happened to me, that just really opened and allowed me to really process what had happened. We have to remember that the Lord through our baptism has given us authority, you know? And so we have to take advantage of all that the church, you know, gives us all the tools where we're able to really find deliverance from all these things.
1: Through the overwhelming embrace of God's love, we can reconcile ourselves with our past, make peace with our offenders, and grow closer in the process to the divine. This is Living the Calm. Kiki Rocha, welcome to the show.
0: Thank you. So good to have you.
1: The patron saint of joy. I love that. I heard somebody said that about you or I read it somewhere.
0: I think
1: that it was your wife. That, oh, is it is possible? You guys, uh, yeah, I, I know of you from my wife, but I just, I love that aspiration. What a great one. I mean, yeah. what else would you possibly want? What, tell me about that. What what is what does it mean?
0: Yeah, I think for me, it means um, helping people to see that our suffering can be redeemed, you know, mm. and like, ultimately, like the Lord has made us for glory, which will bring immense joy to us, I believe. Um, and why not start now?
1: <laughs> Absolutely.
0: Right. People get curious when you're joyful. Like they, they start do. asking questions. Like what, how are, yeah. What is wrong with you? Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> or what is right?
1: Of course, of course. <laughs> I'm being a little bit cynical, but it happens in our world that sometimes joy sticks out like that, right? It's like I mean, I guess it always has, but um but it, it's it's it has a powerful effect. And even though you and I haven't talked very much, I can tell that that is a virtue that you hold near and dear to your heart. Now tell me, I mean, is that something that you can find as you look back on your life, um, sort of a moment of inflection where you saw that um, fruit of the Holy Spirit and said, "This is the thing. This is what gives me kind of purpose and motivates me and gives me a sense of mission." Like, how did that happen? How did that come? Or have you always been just super joy filled person?
0: <laughs> yeah, great question. Actually, a guy that I'm getting to know. Um, he and I were having a conversation like a day a day ago and he actually said to me, "You know, I'm getting to know you, but I have a feeling that you've gone through a lot because you're a really joyful person." And I thought that it was really interesting how there's That's that an association made, yeah. right? Um, but but I believe it is because of what I've gone through. I believe that it's because of what I've gone through that um the joy just exudes from me. Mm. I do I do think that the Lord has given me that virtue. And some of us are just born with certain like dispositions, right? But um it could be with my you know, my sanguine temperament, but um I've gone through really hard things and I've ha- I have ultimately chosen to face evil, right, with God's glory and knowing mm. that evil doesn't have the last word on my life, but God's goodness does. Um and some of those things have been not unique to me because so many people in my generation have been experiencing these effects, right? Like, mm. for example, being part of a broken family or growing up in a bro- broken family. My mom, you know, ultimately having me at a wedlock and then um, marrying, remarrying and then the divorce, right? I, I, I was brought up thinking that my stepfather was my father. So the divorce that they um, went through really had an impact on me.
1: And, and that's because it was explicitly said to you that your stepfather was your father, or because it was never discussed. It was implicit, yeah. It was implicit,
0: yes. And so I, I actually discovered that when I was eight. Um, <laughs> hilarious mm. story, but I then, I then had kind of like an identity crisis, like at eight years old, just kind of sitting there when I was being told my own story, because so much of God the Father's um, kind of face is. We f- we find it in our parents, yeah. right? Our identity, and so when that was shaken for me, I was just kind of like, "Who am I?" You know, which was a very natural response, I think, as an eight-year-old child. Um, but ultimately, it took me about four years for me to muster up the courage and say, "All right, I'm going to meet my father, like my my real biological father." which I had no idea what was waiting for me on what, the other side. What were the
1: circumstances around you being eight years old, though, and actually coming to this awareness of your of your stepfather not being your biological father? How does that come about?
0: I found my social security card on the living room coffee table. Oh, wow. So it, it
1: was because something you did, not necessarily <laughs> that it was like they sat you down and said, now's the time for you to know this.
0: I mean, you know, I've never asked my mom, like, why the social security card was on the coffee table. Um most random place, but I found it and I read my name and it said Crisia. Crisia is my full name, Hortensia Great name, Rocha. By the way. Thank you. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but I had always known myself to be Grecia Moto. Moto was my stepfather's last name. And so when I saw this, I was like, Mom, who is this imposter basically? And took up the card to her and she was just like, like struck, and she was like, my goodness, I have to like, kind of pretend, right? Um, and I was a very curious little girl. I did not forget. And the whole day, I was looking at the clock for my stepfather to step through that door and for me to start questioning him, basically. Um, and they, they told me my story then. So that that was kind of the circumstances around that.
1: Mm. Um, and you said, and you've you talked about this sense of kind of, in Spanish, there's a great word for it. it's desubicado, right? This like, I have no idea where I am, who I am. That sense of uh, kind of a chasm that gets, you know, especially in like a little eight year old child, I mean that's a important moment. To... Yeah,
0: and, and and I had to I had to be real authentic with myself as I was growing up and reflecting on that moment. I felt lied to. I felt really deceived. Um, mm. And and yeah, and I had a hard time coming to terms with that because obviously I love my mom. Uh, she thought she was doing what was best for me. But it it harmed me, I think, ultimately. And the harm kind of kept coming, actually, with the next decision that I made, which was to meet my biological father. Um, I was close to 13, not quite, so still 12. Um, and when I met him, I was like, wow, I look so much like him. It was the eeriest feeling. Six months later, though, unfortunately, he became my sexual abuser. And for about a, a period, I would say, of like six or seven years, um, the sexual abuse kind of began to escalate because the manipulation began to escalate. And I and I did have periods within those years where I would withdraw and say no more, you know. I, I kind of had periods of kind of being enlightened by the Holy Spirit, I would say. But ultimately, he would overpower me with, with his authority. Um, and just, yeah, the emotional manipulation was like really bad. And... Yeah, like, my little girl body didn't know the difference between, like, her father and, like, another man, you know? So there was a lot of harm and toxicity there. Um, And I felt so lost within myself, Mm. within my body, my sexuality, my femininity in relationship to men. And so—
1: And all of this, dealing with all of this complexity of very—I mean, first of all, that is completely devastating, unacceptable— the the kind of thing that no girl woman should ever go through to make it clear that that was right. wrong. But imagining the complexity of those emotions and the the reality of a child going through those emotions, mm-hmm. right? Um, you and my wife have similar backgrounds in that yes. regard. And I always, like, I marvel at the strength that I see present in her and in you for being able to... um. Go through these things not without issue, of course. Yeah. I mean, all kinds of you know woundedness, but that the Lord uses for for actually to strengthen to give life, and it's 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 just a testament to your strength and your ability to um, respond to that grace, because only that <laughs> is the reason you're right in front of me right now.
0: Yes, God's grace, and I get teary-eyed just thinking about like how far the lord has brought me through all that i've lived um because and i and i'm very transparent about it now because i've done the work and i'm continuously like doing the work but i but i think i feel this call to be so honest about my story Because I'm Latina, and I think a lot of Latinos get really hush hush about sexual abuse. Very true. You know, um, it's like no le digas a tu mamá, no le digas a tu tío. Like, don't say a thing. You know, like put put it under the rug kind of thing. And it's so such a toxic type of cycle, and and for that reason, I feel like God's giving me the bravery to talk about it because this is like the most evil thing. You know, Um, it is. It's like literally right flipping flipping what should be um i think just this beautiful ordered relationship um where i should have been protected and my dignity should have been guarded it was exploited.
1: Yeah, um, it's an ultimate deformation, deformation of purity. It's a, it's a, it's a breaking of innocence. It is, yeah, yeah it's a despicable sin. There's no question about it.
0: Right, and to just add to the leer of like the horror of this is, um, my my father. Then I, I come to find maybe about ten years later, my mom tells me that my father actually coerced her to have two abortions. Um, so my two siblings that were older than me were aborted and I was gonna be the third one. So he, they had set the appointment. My mom had set foot in the abortion facility, and God just gave her the courage to run. That literally what what happened. That's what happened in in like downtown LA. And so I come to know this and then put together the harm that he that he like inflicted upon me directly. And I say, wow, like what the irony of uh, of a father who wanted to get rid of his child in the womb and then actually says no actually you're gonna do me you know you're gonna do me good in being a sex slave to me basically because he was my rapist and and so i i just kind of stand back and i'm thinking wow like this is what the culture has come to because Mm -hmm. no doubt like now as i see it a little bit more far removed from an objective point of view i have no doubt that my father was probably a product of the same you know, yeah, like he probably was exposed to porn. He probably was, you know, not tended to as a child. Um,
1: He may have been abused himself.
0: Exactly. And so I I look at him now with eyes of compassion. And Mm -hmm. I think, gosh, Lord, like you have given me such a desire to like build build women up so that they raise the standards for men. Because I love men so much. Mm. I think any woman after what I've gone through, I think would be like, I I don't want to see a man, you know, for years. I want to run away from intimacy with a man. But I just feel this desire to let the world know how good men can be through a woman's heart.
1: Mm. Is it possible to explain to anyone who doesn't have a sense of the supernatural, the divine, the godly, how it's, I mean, is it possible to explain to them why you think this way? In other words, can you explain why you feel the way that you do about men and women and yourself? without invoking your spiritual journey Mm. in other words how do you minister or share your story for somebody who doesn't believe in god Mm -hmm. is that more difficult
0: i would say that it presents its challenges (laughs) because uh, the lord had so much to do with my story but even i guess i would have to go back to when i wasn't really aware that god was protecting me because this could have turned out to be so much worse like um at one point, I thought I was preg- impregnated by my father. Mm. So, yeah, this could have been so much worse. So, I would say to people who maybe are non-believers um, or not practicing a faith that we see men and just like in the natural order to be natural protectors, like they have this instinct to want to protect the vulnerable and want to provide for them. Um, I mean, you see this in you know natural disasters. Like, who do you see tending to women and, and children? You know, um, and. And they've been given this strength in their bodies, even. And and so it manifests manifests itself in relationship. And I think that the culture has deformed this and has actually made us believe, women, through like radical feminism, that we have to be like them. And in some ways, has emasculated men, right? To to believe that they have to not be who they're called mm-hmm. to be. And and I believe I would probably use that example. Um, to bring to light how it's the complete opposite. Like we are equal in dignity, you know. We know this, um, but no, we are not. We're not made the same.
1: Yeah, yeah. Well, The natural, the natural order is um, all of nature, all of creation. As a believer, you see the fingerprints of God in all these things. But even as a non-believer, right? Your senses, your reason, mm-hmm. tell you hey, this thing, you know, the sun goes down and night comes, like you understand that concept, right? You understand the concept of the seasons, you understand the concept of, you know, male and female sexually, even people who have, you know, a very, um, it might be honest, felt, albeit wrong, understanding of gender as being a fluid thing, even they acknowledge biological sexual differences. So yes. all of creation, right, sort of resounds in in this maker that made it. But I, I just, the reason I asked you the question was because I wonder in the work that you do, and I, I do want to talk about that, you know, how the different ways that you explain and draw from your own background and the, the pain that you've been through in these different contexts. Because what I hear when I hear your story is I, I hear... I mean, just the grace of God making good out of something bad in the way that the crucifixion was an objective bad, but from it we're, we're, we get to live forever. I mean, you know, <laughs> I know. what I mean? It's like you can't wrap your mind it. around it. So I see that, and I see the fruit in your life and your joy and all these things as being born from that woundedness in a way. But it's hard sometimes and this is why I'm asking. It's hard to explain that to somebody who maybe doesn't have that perspective that from something bad or pain can come something good, right? The idea of pain and purpose which actually Father Richard Sunwood just recently shared with me the idea Beautiful. of, you know. So so I, that's the part that's the reason I was asking is like how do people hear this story depending on who they are, right? And what and, and what that means for them.
0: Yeah, and I I know for a lot of people that don't Quite practice of faith or don't believe in God, suffering is like a preeminent kind of question where it's like, why does God allow suffering? Like, why did God allow this? And I have a friend who you probably know, Chica. Um, <laughs> I, her last name is like hard to pronounce, but she knows that I love her. Um, So Chica actually mentioned this to me because she deals with like young, young people a lot. And she said, you know, I've stopped telling people um, that When we ask God a question, it's either like, yes, no, or maybe. Because when we've asked him, like, God, why did you allow this to happen to me? You know, it's like, it just doesn't suffice. Mm. Especially sexual abuse or any other type of, you know, grave trauma. Um, It wasn't enough for me. So I, I have to really get down to the level of those women that I minister to and say, you know what? Like, maybe this isn't the first question to propose or even to dive into maybe we have to deal with it from an angle of like simply validating the fact that this was a really horrible experience and a harmful one. And that something evil, you know, like just occurred Yes. Uh, because there's like such high levels of dissociation when it comes to sexual trauma. And even in like Hispanic families, which most women that come to me are young Latinas, um, we don't have the capacity sometimes to talk about such such grave evils because it's so uncomfortable or because we were never given the tools, you know, in conversation.
1: What is that about? What do you think the cultural driver is for the Latino community, maybe just not being as, or just being different? If you're a Latina coming up, what is it about these things that make it that much more difficult to share? Because I agree with you, and I've seen some data about like the um, sort of reticence and stigma associated with like mental health and things mm-hmm. like that but there's something deeper going on like have you asked yourself that qu- what is it i like have Latino-
0: i'm quite frankly still discovering that but yeah. in, intuitively at least i can say that um it has a lot to do with i believe maybe a tinge of machismo kind of still you know in the culture and also to like men not being present fully in the family so it goes back to, I think, the, the, the cultural kind of problems that we're living. Even if you weren't in his in a Hispanic kind of circle, um, the father not being present, I think, kind of makes for the mother being the primal kind of uh, go-to person, you know?
1: Yeah, yeah, that's <laughs> and
0: true. And so we're always going to our mom for things. And when it comes to sitting down as a family, it just feels real uncomfortable. Like you've never – like I just have never known a young Latina like myself to say, yeah, like, we just had a conversation about this one issue that happened to me when I was 15, you know, with my Theo abusing me or whatever. And my father totally spoke into that, you know, and he had a conversation with my Theo about it. It's like, no, that doesn't really happen. And so because we don't want our fathers maybe to feel uncomfortable.
1: Or, it's a real weird thing. It's It's kind of hard to explain <laughs> even us, right? I mean, and we're generally, we're I'm 15, 20 years older than you are. And what you just said rings exactly true to me. So it's not a generational thing. It is a deep, deep cultural thing yeah. that's kind of hard to put your finger on, but that does make this like, it more difficult to address issues of this magnitude, yeah. you know, together, especially in a family kind of setting.
0: Absolutely. Um, but I don't think it's impossible. Agreed. I think the change starts with us, you know, and that's why I feel, I feel so just driven and and motivated to, change the culture through the heart of women. Mm-hmm. And specifically with, so I started coaching with the women's school and that has a lot. What to is do. the women's school? So the women's school is basically a school of human formation for women um, that really teaches them the skill and the mindset to be able to harness wholeness in their life and to fill their God given dream. And I love it. I love the mission. But it within that, there was a, even a dream that I w- needed to discover. And God knew that. And I think it's drawn me even deeper into the niche that I want to settle into. Um, and that's sexual integrity. Sexual integrity and women that need help in having someone pastorally walk with them and coach them through their mindset with sexual integrity in their relationships, dating or not dating, you know. Um, so many women are mm. just keeping silent about, I have a problem with porn and I have no one to go to because a lot of the times it's seen as like a male issue uh, or there are not enough resources for us. Um, yeah, the
1: statistics on female pornography usage are like off the charts. I mean, it, it blows people away when they come across that. Yeah. Yeah.
0: And it's just, we, we can't, we can't approach it with the same approach that we do with men. That's the thing. Cause we're made different. Correct. Right. And so I really want to speak into that. And, um, and just women that are, like, addicted to masturbation or just sex out of wedlock. Um, because I was her. Mm. Because I I didn't have anyone to speak to me about these things. My my mama, I love her. My mommy, I love her. She has been a faith-filled woman. But it is, it is in, in this case, it is kind of a cultural or a generational, generational thing. thing. Yeah. She, she wasn't spoken to about these things. So, like, therefore... She's not she, equipped. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So when God gave me the grace to see like these patterns, I said, no more, it stops with me. Mm. Like I want women to know that I can stop with them.
1: That's amazing. This this idea of kind of transformation of the world through the heart of a woman, right? In a way is so like in the moment with respect to, you know, fierceness and Latinas and like, you know, women's empowerment. On some level, it's so much aligned to that. But yes. on the other side of it, it's deeply, deeply, deeply rooted in a culture and belief and kind of a sense of the world that the contemporary rejects, right? So Mm -hmm. do you find yourself kind of playing both sides of that conversation?
0: Yes. I think that when people... People who are non-believers and hear about what I'm doing and what I want to venture into more deeply, they get so excited because they're like, yeah, like you're empowering women. Like, yes. And I celebrate that, of course, because I love women. Um, they are my mission. But then there's another layer to it that they don't quite see. And I think it takes uh, eyes of faith to be able to see what I'm seeing. And, and that's, that's the fact that, you know, radical modern feminism causes women to be instilled with it's masked as empowerment but i think that is it's a bit of a resentment um that they're not made as men are you know and it's just we're, we're being pinned against each other mm. which i think is contrary to god's design and so what i'm trying to do is really help women through different resources my coaching you know my, my mindset coaching theology of the body like all my formation to really bring it to the forefront and help them just unmask all of those layers that they've been keeping so that they can like protect themselves and deflect um you know greater intimacy with men or really helping them see um just the beauty and the glory of their bodies and sexuality and the essence of their femininity that's what i'm trying to do because that's going to help them open up
1: that's right? awesome do you think that there is um you know all throughout history the great saints have been good at baptizing non-Christian things, right? Pagan symbols and wedding rings and Christmas trees all are kind of baptized versions of this. Do you see this idea as a sort of baptism, kind of taking things that are out there in the popular culture, the empowerment, all these things, and... Having them draw people as a using them as a means to draw. Yes,
0: to God. yes. I think you're right on the money. Um, so I was part of the culture project as a missionary at the culture project for a few years, and that was one angle that they took very often. It's like they because we don't want to throw away the culture, you know, like just say all of it is bad. That's I don't think that's a Catholic approach. Like we can find goodness in it and bring it to the light and say, let me magnify this for you and tell you. Why it's so good, mm. right? So that's what I want to do. Like, I just was at the T.O.B. Institute this past June. And Christopher West is a big lover of, like, music. He loves music. But he inspired me mm. to go back into my own childhood and think about the songs that just pierced my heart. It's like, why was I—why why was that song on replay all the time, <laughs> you know? Like, and I listened to the lyrics, and I was like, ah, because it spoke to the ache of my heart. It spoke to my desires,
1: anything, any goodness in anything originates from the goodness of God, yes. right? The the church's position even on other faiths that to the extent any part of a faith is true, to the extent it's true, that truth originates in God, in the God that, that we worship, right, ultimately. And so that's true. That And I'm a big believer in that, the idea of looking around us and not just discarding everything as like a waste, because that's the media that we use. That's like the artist like picks up the Mud and goes like, well, it looks like crap right now, but I'm going to make it into a statue, right? Exactly. And that's what we have around us is this, Mm -hmm. you know, kind of 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 medium. You you wrote um recently about the idea that women are sort of the pinnacle of creation, right? Mm. The the ultimate expression of God, and yet the fact that that's not really recognized, right, as, as this kind of pinnacle. Did you mean that in both like secular and religious sectors or or mostly? I, yeah.
0: I believe that it definitely could resonate with both, you know, mm-hmm. but we know that when, so when I say that, I totally say it through a Catholic lens, knowing that because we possess this beautiful gift of being life givers, you know, we we can harness life. We receive that gift from a man and we it's like we multiply it in, in our bodies mm. and that is, that's literally the Lord. Like, that is his glory, you know, for humanity. And I think that the modern culture misses out on this beautiful gift because they're actually using the same, like we, they're using our fertility in opposite ways.
1: You know? and, it's, and it's looked at in a way as as oftentimes as a negative potentially, right? The idea of having, using your procreative faculties as something that keep, might keep you weighed down, that might interfere with, mm-hmm. with something, a burden. Mm-hmm. I, I wonder when you work with people, are you working with women across a kind of spectrum ideologically or religiously, or is it mostly a similar group of group of, of women?
0: It's mostly Christian Catholic women. Got it. Yes, okay. that come to me, um, although I'm open to working with whomever, yes. but they will know that I will approach all of this through Catholic perspective because for me, it's like the fullness of truth, right? Not that I'm not equipped to help women who are non-believers, but I believe that I would be doing a disservice to them. Mm. Um, And that's just my giftings. I'm sure there are so many other women who Who might feel mm -hmm, equipped and like called because it it is a calling, I would say.
1: I agree with you. And within that context of Christian Catholic women, are there, you know, kind of like what in the business world we call use cases, which are averages. In other words, is there like the case where like a third of the women you work with have this kind of similarity in terms of the issue that they're struggling with uh, uh, with regards to sexual integrity? And then another group has this thing, like, how does that pie chart look like in terms of the kind of challenges to sexual integrity that you deal with?
0: Yeah. So, so I, I talk about a couple of things. So it's like sexual abuse, right? And then uh, porn, masturbation, and even just like kind of general chastity problems. I would say that most women who are struggling with pornography, masturbation, and like chastity in their dating relationships have had some type of sexual trauma in their in their childhood or, like, their young adult life. And it's so interesting, you know, to mm-hmm. see that because I, I don't think that the church has really seen this connection quite well. Like, they, they probably are approaching it from, like, um, a segmented standpoint where it's like, well, let's deal with this problem and let's deal with this problem here and, like, find a solution. And we talk about it in, like, you know, ha- Catholic talks, Catholic speakers talk about this, but I don't think that they quite see... You know, just the way that it's laced, mm. at least in women, um, because we're so relational. Women, we're so like our emotional world is so vast and complex that um, when we there there is an inflict inflicted kind of emotional trauma as well when we're sexually abused because oh, yeah. we're whole people, right? Um, when we don't process emotions, they're stored in our bodies, and we find ways to dissociate and escape that reality. And oftentimes, it's through some type of addiction, like pornography, or men that don't serve us, you know, like really toxic relationships, sexual addiction, so just an array of things. Mm. So I'm just seeing this connection, yeah.
1: You know, a lot of my perspective has been shaped by my wife's going through some of these things. So right. I might have a level of intimacy that maybe a lot of guys don't in terms right. of some of these some <laughs> of these issues. But I'm curious, with the women that you work with, are they, like, let's take a toxic relationship as an example. Mm -hmm. Is there a consciousness that they're in the toxic relationship and choose it anyway, despite what they may be saying to themselves? Or is it that they imagine this isn't toxic and make excuses for its toxicity that you and I would see? Do you see what I'm saying? Like, what what do you think is more, is the more common case?
0: Yeah, I would say that there is probably a small level of um, knowing knowingness, but for the most part, they are subconsciously kind of living out what they don't want mm. you know it's like it's like this kind of self-inflicted wound um because they don't know any any better. they don't know anything else. I'll kind of share a, a little bit of uh, my own experience because it really it's kind of similar to what they're they're going through but it's like last year I actually was getting to know actually earlier this January what am I what am I talking about? I was getting to know a gentleman who um, was actually Protestant. And I found myself really hurt by him. Mm. Um, And I was talking to a friend of mine who's also part of the women's school, strategist with the women's school. And she was asking me, she's like, Kiki, have you found yourself in this position before where you like were just emotionally dating this guy, but not really in a relationship with him? And I said, you know what, Maria, now that you're asking me, yes. Like the January before this, I was in the same position. And actually, now that you're asking me this, the January before that, I was in the same position. Really? And it was just like this aha moment where I was like emotionally kind of martyring myself in order to have a guy to stay um, at the expense of my well-being. Mm. And it it was this epiphany. So I see a lot of my own women um, go through those same moments.
1: Wow. Yeah,
0: because like I said there's just such a high level of dissociation. Um and, and it's not like they're creating excuses for it. It's mm-hmm. just like their their reality is being created by them so that the real reality won't be lived out, you know? Like yeah. they can't they don't have to feel the pain.
1: How do you how do you advise, you know, the women that you work with and just anybody else how to make peace with some of the, you know, let's call them demons of their particular situation, whether those are addictions or people, right? You talked about it and you kind of, you went very fast and you, you I, I love people to talk fast. So you're like, you're like <laughs> in my so top 10 sorry. Kiki. It's awesome. Um, I feel like it gets so much more done if everybody just talk fast. But, uh, but anyway, you kind of glossed over a little bit. The fact yeah. that you've now view your attacker in, in an abuser mm. in a different way, but I, I just, I want us to dive into that for a second. Yeah what do you tell people? It's like, I've been through this. Mm-hmm. This is the thing that wounded me. This is my struggle. And I see the, the, the outcome of where I should be. But like, how do I, de- how do I deal with that? Yeah,
0: That's such a great question. Um, And I don't pretend to have all of the answers, but I know that for me, it was definitely a process and it was not linear at all. And I, it, my nature is very proactive. Like I have a very proactive nature, so I don't have a problem asking for help. I know some women have a hard time. So I, if you're that woman, like it's okay to be there. It's okay to even just go for to a friend and say I need help. Like help me, help myself. Um, but I I took it upon myself to reach out to people who I thought could help me in this in this particular part of my story. And I would say that a lot of it had to do with facing the grief you know, when I began to grieve what had happened to me, that just really opened up anger in me. Like this rage that I think was righteous, that is righteous, and allowed me to really process what had happened versus like suppressing and being like, yeah, I'm just going to pray to the Lord. Like, no, like God gave us the Psalms for a reason. Amen. <laughs> and so I had to really come to terms with my anger and my grief. And I actually hired someone, um, her, her, her name is Heather Stringer. She's the wife of, of a well-known Protestant therapist, um, Jay Stringer, who, who wrote a book called Unwanted, um, and which allows people to see why they have these unwanted sexual tendencies, specifically with porn. But anyway, so the work that she does is very complementary to his, but it has to do more with ritual, mm creating rituals for people to be able to heal and process things in their life. And as I was working with her and kind of telling her my story so she could create a ritual for me in my healing process, she pointed out that there was an ambivalence that I had to really um, like basically say, yes, like this exists in me. Like the fact that my father did something really horrible and evil but there was also an involuntary pleasure that my body experienced and even my psyche sometimes. And so it was like this. It was so uncomfortable for me to come to terms with that ambivalence. But I needed to go through that in order for me to come out through the other side. Mm. So it was that's just an example of like what the power of engaging our story. And Catholics don't really talk about this. I have found it to be really talked about in like Protestant circles, specific, specifically in the podcast the Place We Find Ourselves In by Adam Young, um, who introduced me to the Allender Center, mm. who does great work with sexual abuse uh, and just trauma survivors and engaging their stories and allowing them to really process that grief.
1: Yeah, and all, and all of it is also a variation or extension of the principle of letting things come to the light too, right? Because yes. any degree of your papering over, suppressing, not engaging, mm-hmm. not not interacting is a variation of not letting something that is that has happened that is true right come to the light. And what I what I see in um in your story and in your willingness to address it so clearly and so directly is this sense of 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 having all of these things come to the light right?
0: Yeah, absolutely. And, and it, it brings me back to this past fall where I had one of the m- just biggest breakthrough, I think, in my story. I had done a lot of work already, had even like confronted my father. But in September, as I hired my own private strategist with the women's school to tend to me because I need filling too, mm. um, I had a moment where she asked me after I told her my story, she was like, so Kiki, you're telling me this and this happened to you. And I was like, yeah, yeah. She was like, "Well, what do you call that?" And I just kind of froze. Wow. And I said, "Rape." I just didn't even know. See, I had I had an I had a certain knowledge that I was a sexual abuse survivor, but the word rape never came to my mind because it was just so intrusive and just a violation for me. It just made me feel so icky, right? And so it, did, it wasn't until that point that everything just kind of started pouring over me like I would have flashbacks and and I had to make a decision right there and then. And the woman's school was really pivotal, I think, in this sense, where it helped me see that I needed to fight for my wholeness, my integration, my full integration as a woman. And so the Lord, through through scripture in Hosea 2.14, he talks about, I will lure her into the desert and speak kindly and tenderly to her. And I knew when I saw that verse that he was calling me to go to Phoenix and spend like six months with him and really like encountering the desert of my heart and of my story, and when I was able to do that, I just felt so much more free. You know, like yes, it was hard. Heck, yes, it was hard. Like there was so many, I think, disgusting memories that just repelled me and made me just feel tempted to just feel shameful about myself. But I, but I knew that I needed to hold fast to the sacraments, right? To confession, to mass, to adoration. Um, and just stand firm in the Lord, knowing that He was bringing everything to the light. And if I didn't do this then, that I would be carrying this with me in my marriage and I and I don't want that, and that's what I was fighting for. Mm-hmm. Deacon. like, I'm fighting so hard to break the chains of generational sin in my family that I I haven't even met my future husband yet. Mm. But I hope one day. But you are praying for him though? <laughs> yeah, I am praying for him and it, yeah, and if the Lord doesn't want me to meet him and wants, you know, me to be with him and in glory forever, and not have experienced marriage, that is okay too. But I have the hope. You know, I, I live with expect and hope and like I'm doing this for love of him and love of my future children if God wills. So Yeah, I I hope this inspires other women to do the same. I'm
1: sure it can only do that. Um, And I will attest to the power of prayer and the sacraments and desert transformations in looking at my wife. And I can attest and confirm and affirm that those generational things can be broken. Mm -hmm. You know, uh, Jess, my wife and I um, call it cycle breaking, right? Um, Where despite the fact that she was you know multiple generations of the this kind of trauma, abuse, neglect, et cetera, that her standing outside of that now and looking in is what enables our kids and maybe their kids to do the same, right? Yes. so so there is definitely that in the future, you know what I mean as potential yes.
0: and and we must we must because we know that we live in a world where like we're being accused all the time by the accuser you know, and he studies us. Father Ripperger actually talks sure. about, Father Ripperger's is like a real well-known exorcist for those that don't know him. Um, but he talks about um, how demons actually study us. And from the very point that we're conceived, they study our DNA and they they can see kind of our dispositions in that, right? And and they begin to kind of poke at our vulnerabilities, at our, our really soft points. And if we don't heal, he talks about trauma. If we don't heal the trauma then we are going to be arrested at that level of development. Like, for example, me, I was I was traumatized at the age of 13 and ongoingly. But if I didn't heal, I was going to stay there emotionally in a lot of areas of my life. And that's the reason why, like, I think looking back now, I felt so out of body. That's a really common experience for trauma survivors. I felt so out of body and would always wonder, like, why do I feel like I'm in a movie? Or, like, I'm just behind in a lot of ways. Um, so... Just so you all know, it is definitely encouraged by Holy Mother Church to do the healing for love of neighbor, but also for love of self, because we can only love our neighbor to the extent that we love ourselves. I think a lot of Catholics have um, a lot of discomfort <laughs> in this commandment, sure. because they're like self-love, right? Because it's been like kind of as new age, but it's totally, yeah, it's totally theological. It's totally of the Lord.
1: I got a chance to meet the um, exorcist of the Uh, District of Columbia, Washington, D.C., not too long ago, he gave a talk at a conference that I was at. And um, he talked about the idea of the kind of precursors to demonic infestation, possession, obsession, all that kind of stuff. Yes, And there's common things, right? There's the easy ones that most people tend to know. It's like, yeah, if you do occult stuff, you play with Ouija boards, blah, blah, blah. But he talked about consistently the idea of trauma and unresolved woundedness, right? Yes. Because, it, it, And it's what makes you know, St. Augustine's quote about wounds so powerful is the idea that um, you know, St. Augustine says that he found the Lord in his own wounds, right? But if, he, if the Lord isn't there, someone else will be, right? Takes residence mm. in those wounds. And just like you said, if they're studying you, we forget they're wicked smart too, you know what I mean? It's like <laughs> they're smarter than we are, so if they're looking at all of your things and poking, and then they see that aperture, that wound, and they can go in there and take residence, and it's almost like their little internal command center. They can drive from there like nobody's business.
0: Absolutely, and 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 yet we have to remember that the Lord through our baptism has given us authority, you know, and so we, we have to take advantage of all that the church, you know, gives us all the tools, um, prayer, right, of deliverance. Like there's uh, Neil Osano has like a beautiful book called "The Unbound," um, where we're able to really find deliverance in about from all these things. And we'll
1: put all these in the show notes too, yeah. these, uh, these books and resources.
0: Absolutely. And so I encourage all, all listeners who are trauma survivors um, to really just look into this and say, all right, Lord, what's the first step that you're calling me to mm. take in, in my own story?
1: I want to talk about integrity and wholeness for a second though, because it's easy to somebody to hear wholeness and integrity and go, yeah, that's a good thing. But I wonder how often we think about Wholeness and what that actually means, right? Um, and I say this in the context and with the backdrop of knowing that you also have a background in physical fitness, right? And and the, the work that <laughs> you you've have done, done your research <laughs> and the, the work that you've done in training and all that other kind of stuff. Because part of that wholeness to me is physical, right? There's a physical, there's a spiritual, there's a psychological, emotional, all these things. So, do you see like is there recourse in the in the work that you're doing in your ministry for the body physically, as well as what's going on interiorly,
0: yes. so, okay. so the woman's school wholeness, wholeness was a word that I believe was introduced to me by the woman's school. I knew it as integration prior to that, um, but it but it translates, I think, pretty similarly. And we find it to be like this this um harmony between all components of the human being, you know. And then breaking that down even more, it's talking about women specifically. We find harmony in all components of her life, of a woman's life, you know. And so we talk, about, we talk about all these components in our course, the masterclass, the "Art of Being Woman" in the Women's School. But I will, I will kind of lace it back to the work that I'm doing with women who are sexual abuse survivors or have um, some type of sexual trauma. I find that women in that space oftentimes find themselves really disintegrated. Not only interiorly, which I've spoken about a lot right now, but in all aspects of her life. So I grew up, my mom's also a rape survivor, by the way, uh, and her story is also worthy of being known. But I grew up seeing her before my own trauma and seeing the ways in which she was not tending to herself.
1: Were you aware of that trauma before it occurred to you?
0: Yes, you were. I was. Yes, I was. Um, and, and so I would see her just really not tending to herself kind of not taking, not taking care of herself physically, um, maybe not dressing up because she didn't feel worthy of it. Um, you know, staying in toxic relationships because she didn't know anything else, you know? So it just, it goes back to all aspects of a woman's life and really helping her see that the harmony in them is, is translated into a harmony of like mind, body, and soul. Mm. And part of that is of course, physical, um, because it's through this vessel that we are able to love. We know we we are embodied beings. We know that. And so it's like it's not like our body is only part of us. Like our body is who we are, mm. you know? And we need to learn that through this vessel. If we don't take care of it, our love can't be fully flourishing, but it it, it gets trumped, mm. you know?
1: One of my friends uh, Anthony D'Ambrosio, um he's super super a uh, cool creative guy He's a good um, one. out of, uh, actually you're going to be out in his neck of the woods not too long from now, but he was talking about, um, the idea of physicality mm. as it correlates to masculinity, particularly. And I, I, I'm going to paraphrase it, but he was talking about how, you know, that, that men need something to fight for something to struggle against. Right. It's a, it's kind of like a hardening. Uh, it reminded me of, um, the quote from the Old Testament about uh, steel sharpening steel and how yes. we're kind of perfected, right? It, all the impur- impurities are kind of gotten rid of, you know, in a way. Is there what what would be the corollary to the extent there is one in your experience for the feminine in the physical? What, what do you think that that might be?
0: Yeah. Ah. Uh. I think this brings me back to um can I answer this by sharing a little bit of a story?
1: Sure show, <laughs> whatever you want to do.
0: <laughs> so, um so I was in the TV at the TUB Institute and I had a question for Christopher West uh that I hadn't been able to quite answer all too much and that question was what do I do or what does a woman do when she feels trapped in her body? Um this can, this can be totally, you know, for people that are like sexual trauma survivors or any woman that just doesn't like her body because it's oftentimes that's the case you know we hear about women having body body image issues or what have you but I was coming at it of course from the angle of my own story because when I see when I look at myself in the mirror I see my father I look a lot like him but I also look a ton like my mother and I have this theory that my father this is not this didn't come out from his mouth, but just kind of putting pieces together. My father really saw me as like a meanie version of my mom. Um, so there is that ambivalence there, right? Talking about the word ambivalence again. And the temptation is to want to flee my body and and really not accept the beauty that God mm. has given me through my body and just my being. Um, and, and, and kind of deeming it as like evil. Like this is what caused— the sexual abuse, the fact that I look this way, that I have this body um, in my sexuality. And so I would say that the emphasis, I I believe, with women is in the beauty of their body Mm -hmm. and how we tend to want to reject it because we want to either um, flee a certain evil or like not, uh, have it happen to us, you know, so it's, it's a form of kind of a protective mechanism, I would say. Um, so, so I would invite all women who feel this way to really, theology of the body has just been so healing for me to, to really enter into Lord, what, what are you telling me through the story of my body? The fact that we are, even our, our, our organs, right? Like our sexual organs are open, it tells us something. It's like it tells us something we're meant to receive. And it's through that that beauty uh, of th- that receptivity that we're able to really um, just multiply humanity, mm. I believe. Um, and, and so I think, yes, like men definitely have this sense of I want to own my physicality. While women, I believe, is like I want to own the beauty of my body.
1: Do you think that that ambivalence or that sense that you went through could also apply to people maybe that have gender dysphoria as well, who are looking, maybe don't feel comfortable in their own body? Is there an extension there?
0: I would say so. Yeah, I would say so, definitely. And I don't, I don't even know what so that question that I asked Christopher West. I don't even know if it would go under gender dysphoria or something similar to that. I don't have an actual psychological like diagnosis, but I would say it it does sound very similar, doesn't it? Um, it's kind of this sense of I don't want to be here,
1: yeah, and there's nowhere for you to go, right? Yeah. So you almost have to like change things or take a step in that direction, yep. in order to reconcile all this stuff this, yeah, yeah. And, yeah. And,
0: and Christopher talked about, um he was very he was very gracious in the way that he because I asked this in I put this in a note where I left it on his podium because I didn't want to ask it in front of everyone because I knew I'd cry and I would just kind of be this faucet <laughs> and I wouldn't be able to stop crying so that's just me my my sensitive heart but he was so gracious as to like basically giving me an answer and interweaving it in his own talk um just very reverence mm. a very reverenced approach and so he basically alluded to the fact that like women women's sexual organs are like the garden and where did the devil meet adam and eve right oh, like yeah. the garden and so yeah. and so yeah i just uh, i just feel so passionate about women's bodies
1: <laughs> yeah it's it, well it's amazing i mean that's again the the kind of genius that you can see at work and the depths that you can plumb when you have this type of understanding that's what makes you know the faith such a miracle the pearl of great price because when you discover it you're like i can't believe this is yeah. here you know The other thing that I think about with integrity and wholeness is that you know it's good because it is directly counter to the enemy, right? The enemy, and we've mentioned two words on this show already that are emblematic of who he is, right? Accuser, divider, the divider, right? That's what the word actually means. And so integrity is about the unification of these different aspects. Wholeness, right? Mind, body, spirit, right? Being. And division is what occurs to that thing. Yes. Right. So you can see its goodness almost by contrasting it with what it what the opposite would be.
0: Absolutely, absolutely. And you think about porn, right? We think about porn, and then we think about like just the beautiful artwork that we see in the Sistine Chapel. Like it, it is they're opposing each mm. other. Um, and, and people have asked, like, well, why why is that not considered pornography? You know, like bodies are unveiled. (laughs) You can see everything, you know, but I believe that it's the posture in, in which those, those bodies were painted. Um, and the intention, you know, behind it, you could see it. It's not gratuitous. Yeah, Yeah, absolutely.
1: Yeah. What do you think is the biggest thing we're up against right now? What are, what are women up against the most right now relative to this idea of wholeness? And there's a lot of stuff you can pick from, but if you had to like, if you had to say, hey, if I could just hit this one in this battle, this would be the one I'd start with.
0: Yeah. Um, I would say our fertility, um, because that manifests itself even in the spiritual. Like, you know how women are called to be mothers all around, whether they're physical or spiritual mothers, or all in one. Um, and and we can see just this great evil coming upon our fertility in contraception, um, in in sex out of wedlock, you know, and then kind of incurring, you know, the abortion as a, a sort of, yeah, I get false, false. Um, What's the word I'm looking for? A solution. Yeah.
1: Yeah. False positive. Yes. Yeah. False
0: positive. Yep. Yep. And in this hatred that I think the evil one is trying to really impose upon our bodies and our being and in closing us up to to men. Yeah and and i hate that mm. i hate it with a passion mm. um adam young adam young in one of his podcasts in the place we find ourselves in he talks about um there's this one episode called your kingdom and one of the questions well the episode's the episode's kind of purpose is to help people find their kingdom that god calls them to rule over a piece of his kingdom cuz we're heirs to the kingdom And one of the questions that he poses to help us lead, um, help us to lead us to that, to that answer is, what do you hate? And I find that my blood boils when I think of women closing themselves up to men and, and, um, and, and the father's, and the father's seed, even like in in his word in, 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 in the church, like, ah. it just it makes my blood boil, deep. <laughs> because,
1: because, because it's it's directly counter to the purpose for their very beings, right? yeah, for their very and, bodies, and yeah. even our
0: salvation. Mm. Like I cannot know myself unless it is revealed to me through through a man. Yeah, like it's just so mysterious. It's beautiful. It's but, beautiful. Well, it, it, yeah. com-
1: it we complete one another. We mm. really, really do. Right. We kind of we're each other's kind of at least from a bodily standpoint, each other's fulfillment in a way, right? Which yes. is also what makes the celibate life such a beautiful gift and offering is that you, you forego that for the kingdom of God, mm-hmm. even though it is something that is by all rights, biologically, creatively, et cetera, you know, complementary, you still forego that for the purposes of the kingdom. It's a higher good. It's a, it's a higher yeah. good and it's a higher ground. <laughs> um, what's, what's next for you? What are you, uh, what are you excited? You're, you're about to do a potential pivot here. Yes. Know? I will be know moving. If you want to sh- share yeah. anything on the show. But. Yes.
0: I'll be moving to Dallas. Um, there's no particular reason for that. I just feel a nudge. <laughs> Sometimes a that's nudge how to the it is. great
1: nation of Texas. Yes. <laughs> yes. Okay. yes.
0: But who knows? We'll be, maybe I'll be back in California. We'll see.
1: Mm-hmm. But
0: uh, I think in terms of my work i definitely am going to be focusing this this next season and expanding my coaching um program for women i I want to create a course i want to create courses for women to really feel equipped not just empowered but equipped in navigating these parts of their life i'm by no means a therapist i think my main goal is to create self-awareness and give them tools to process um and just create more sense of 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 self-knowledge, which the devil hates.
1: And in particular, to the extent that that course and those things can help Latino women too. Yes. Given the propensity and the fact that you can speak uniquely to that, yeah. right? But yeah. the the density of the Latino population when the context of the church is something that only is growing every day and you know, my thing is, I'm always, uh, I'm always on about that, right? So yes. I think somebody like you is uniquely <laughs> positioned for this kind of thing. Thank
0: you, Deacon. I do. I have talked to a lot of people, and you being one of them, I think we've talked about this before, where we see so many beautiful Catholic speakers, um, but we kind of lack diversity sometimes. At least that's how I felt like growing mm-hmm. up. It's like, okay, well, all of them are like white for the mm-hmm. most part, or really, really connected to the American culture. Right. and I feel a sense of kind of disconnect there. Yeah. Um. And so I want to use my voice and my upbringing, for the goodness of all that find that they they don't they don't see anyone that they can connect with on this level.
1: Yeah. You know. Amen. Is there a podcast in your future?
0: Yes. Yeah. I'm going to talk to you about that.
1: We're going to talk <laughs> off the air. Yes. You're going to get yourself saddled with this uh, this thing. No, it's actually it's an incredible <laughs> incredible, and you'd be great at it.
0: Yes. Any any
1: thought on what the show would be about?
0: Absolutely, it would be it would be about what we just talked about. I want mm-hmm. to be able to create um, a platform where we have open discussion, an honest discussion. I'm all about authenticity and genuineness. Absolutely. You know, well, it's
1: super powerful, and it's and it's it's the kind of thing that, frankly, we've always needed. The truth is always in season, is always good. But at this particular moment in time, where we are in this country, the idea of speaking with charity, clearly and truthfully. Yeah is something that is so important, especially about issues like this. And again, especially in the Latino context, because as we've already talked about, yes. that is sorely lacking there. We don't want to deal with these things. for don't
0: ruffle
1: any feathers, right? We don't want to <laughs> ruffle any feathers. Um, okay, in addition to all the stuff we're going to have in the show notes, uh, by, an hour goes by pretty quick, huh, doesn't it? Um, in addition to the stuff we're going to have in the show notes, is there anything you want to share of ways folks can follow you? Like stay in touch, all that kind of stuff. Follow your journeys.
0: Yeah. So I have yet to create my website, but you can find me on Instagram at Kiki the Brave. And I love to connect with people there. Really create a beautiful community of followers where I get to learn from you guys as well. Um, And as soon as my website is up, I will be sure to let you know on that platform.
1: Awesome. And we'll include that. But by the way, there couldn't be no other Instagram handle but that one for you. So. (laughs) What an amazing blessing. Thank you for being on the show. Thank you, Deacon. Kiki, we're going to play the final segment here called Wait, What? Are you ready to play? Yes. All right. Question number one. Kiki, you're called to go on a mission to a country with a very poor opinion of Catholics. Mm. Now, in a rare moment of diplomacy, however, the travel authorities of that country allow you to visit, but they say you can only take three distinctly Catholic things with you what are they okay
0: i would probably say um exercise salt
1: okay <laughs> good start wow that's I just have, like i have it in my purse yeah that's great went right to the to the yeah i love it that's great yeah, sacramental I mean, powerful sacramental oh yeah. definitely mm-hmm. and
0: I mean, I think non-believers would probably think that it's just salt.
1: (laughs) That's true. Good point. You could kind of tuck it in, get by customs with that. Okay. What are the other two?
0: Um, The other two would probably be, um, gosh, I really want to see the Bible, but I don't even know if in this pretend mission.
1: (laughs) It would be considered a Catholic thing, so you could slip it in if you want to see scripture.
0: Okay, perfect. We'll go with scripture. Mm -hmm. I need my scripture every single day. Um, (laughs) And then the third one would probably be, um, yeah, would probably be St. Alphonsus Liguori's book. Um Gosh, I'm forgetting the title right now. Maybe you can help oh, me. Uh, Discerning God's Will or Uniformity with God's Will. Lovely. Yeah. I haven't I, read it. You haven't read it? No. Oh, it's a must. Yeah, we got to. We got to read
1: it. St. Alphonsus is great, though. Yes. Doctor of the Church. Yeah, yes. Absolutely, okay, that's very good. Okay, question number two. There's always a time travel question on these, Kiki. When you Love go it. back and listen to other episodes, you'll see. So, all right, you get to travel back in time. Okay. And you're going to visit several saints who were renowned among many things, obviously, but one of them for being a bit on the chubby side, okay? St. Thomas Aquinas in the 13th century. <gasps> St. John the 23rd and 19th and 20th. St. Laura Montoya from my own uh, people's home country, a Colombian saint, uh, mother of a religious order, was also a bit on the portly side. And you get to convey and explain to them a physical fitness regimen. <laughs> what do you advise these saints to do?
0: Oh my goodness. I'm going to go with St. Laura. Laura, right? Okay. It's yeah, called, Laura, okay. mm-hmm. Laura. Mm-hmm. Laura. Um, yeah, I was just watching a Colombian salsa dancer last night, and I would say, let's salsa dance our nice. way to fitness. My
1: <laughs> wife, uh, I'm probably outing her right now, but she loves watching Colombian soap operas on Netflix. I and love she'll sit it. there and like read, she doesn't speak Spanish, she'll like read them for like, it's like a hundred episodes deep, and she's doing it. Okay, and what is uh, St. Laura doing? What what fitness regimen do you have her on?
0: Yeah, we were probably salsa dance, like, oh, all day. Oh, salsa dancing, yeah. okay.
1: Beautiful, <laughs> that works, that works. Okay, last question. Kiki, is. I'm sure you know, joy is one of the fruits of the Holy Spirit, and one that you have as a very well-developed virtue, so congratulations on that. Praise Lord. What you or perhaps others may not know is the saint often regarded as the patron of joy. And this saint had a mystical experience where he saw what appeared to be a globe of fire enter his mouth, causing him to feel his heart dilate, and he was filled with such joy of divine love that it caused him to scream out, enough, Lord, I can't bear it anymore. And then he then discovered a swelling that happened over his heart. It didn't cause him any pain, but he lived with it for the rest of his life. Now, it is said that when his body was examined after death, his heart had expanded so greatly it broke two of his ribs. Wow. Which saint was this?
0: Deacon, I actually don't know. Really? Wow, this story, though. This is
1: good. The The saint is Saint Philip Neri, N-E-R-I. Philip Neri, wow, yep, Italian saint. I believe it's the 18th century. I could look it up. I could be wrong about that, but uh, yeah, Saint Philip Neri was the patron saint of joy.
0: You have made me so. Wow. N- now
1: you have you get to be the patroness. <laughs> He's the patron. You get to be the patroness of joy.
0: Here I go, Saint at Philip. At the right
1: time. So now you have a new, see a new uh, a devotion you can add to the mix. Thank you, Saint Philip Neri. Pray for us, Kiki. God bless your ministry and your work, Kiki and deacon. God prosper it. I'm super excited about you going out to Texas and your podcast and yes. all that stuff. So. Um, we'll be following your work and you're welcome to stop by here anytime and tell us uh, how, uh, how it's going. But thank you for being on the show. Thank really you for having it, me. It's course. been a gift. And for all of those who are listening, remember to subscribe to this show. Remember to tell your friends and family, share this, make it grow. And, uh, we thank you for listening. We'll see you again next time on living the call. If you enjoyed this episode of Living the Call, please remember to subscribe and give us a five-star review. Tell someone you love about the show and spread the word. Living the Call is available on Apple Podcasts and Spotify and anywhere else you listen to podcasts. You can learn more about the organization behind the show by searching for the Catholic Association of Latino Leaders on any social platform or by going directly to call-usa.org. That's C-A-L-L-U-S-A dot Living the Call is produced by Manu Kasten and Diego Carranza and our friends at Juan Diego Networks. God bless you, and thank you for listening.